Bonjour mes beautés et bienvenue, welcome to the next episode of The Paris Lessons. Cue motorcycle or moped underneath my apartment. I don't know if you heard that. Emily in Paris. This is an episode that I have had mixed feelings about doing because I have mixed feelings about this show. One thing I can say for certain is this is absolutely a show that people love or they hate, they adore or they detest. It's been very interesting watching the show as someone who lives in Paris, as une Parisienne. It's certainly been interesting reading the French criticisms and the comments uh, in the some of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of, whether they be Anglophone expats or French Facebook groups, as well as French blogs, Anglophone blogs. I don't fall entirely into either, you know, the j'adore or je déteste camp. I think you know, it's interesting because... On the one hand, you can say it's just a show. However, you know, there's that old adage, there's truth in every joke. Well, that's how I feel about art. And this, you know, this is more of a, a philosophy of art type um, way of thinking that I'm introducing right now in this moment in the episode. But when things start to show up in our art, it's because they're very prevalent in our culture. And, you know, most most of the French criticism that I've read of this show is because French people completely do not appreciate the way that this show reinforces very unflattering cliches about French people and French culture. And I would say to the Anglophone audience listening, which is, I think, most of my audience, you might want to think about that when it comes to the unflattering cliches that this show uh, puts out into the world about, specifically about Americans. There were moments watching, well, first of all, I normally pause my Netflix during the school year because of the amount of reading and writing I ha have to do at the Sorbonne. So I just, I just, eliminate as many distractions as possible, but the social media marketing campaign for this show worked really, really well. At one point, I thought this Emily was a real person in Paris. I already have a friend named Emily in Paris, uh, so I kept thinking, who is this Emily in Paris? She's not my Emily in Paris, and then students started asking me if I'd seen the show. So I reactivated my Netflix, and I took the time to watch it. I took a lot of notes for you. There are a lot of wonderful language and culture lessons that you can extract from the show. So I hope that first and foremost, this episode really helps you to, to you know, maybe um, spend more time thinking about moments or events in the series that you didn't that didn't really strike you as that interesting at first, or or maybe you know take that thinking to a deeper level with those moments in the series that did strike you as meaningful or maybe see them in a new way. So there is a lot to get out of watching this, particularly if you are very interested in French culture and, you know, you love Paris and you're studying the French language. 
This show has a phenomenal selection of uh, locations. It's funny because it was about this time last year, so it was before confinement. I was walking from one philosophy seminar at the Sorbonne to another philosophy seminar at a a campus called L'École Normale Supérieure. So I have to kind of walk up uh, alongside the Panthéon and go to the other side of the Panthéon. And there's this wonderful, 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 it's closed on the weekends. Um, It's like a, it's a, it's a restaurant, cafe, and it's called, it's not, it's not a, it's not a bar, although they have a comptoir, but anyway, it's called La Nouvelle Mairie, and I discovered it when I was living on La Rue Linné in 2014, and it is one of my most favorite spots in Paris, and it's at this beautiful, on this beautiful little place, and it's across from a beautiful boulangerie, and I think it's, I think you see Emily having a drink with Camille, in the episode at the spot, and that boulangerie that Emily goes to all the time, it's that boulangerie, it has a really beautiful facade. So anyway, I was walking from one seminar to another, and I saw this, um, something being filmed, I didn't know if it was a TV show or a movie, um, and I had a couple of minutes, so I stopped as I always like to do, because it, because it reminds me of when I was working on sets as an actress in New York and in LA and I have a lot of beautiful memories of being on set so I and just all of the the moving parts and the teamwork that goes into that so anyway I stopped to watch and I could tell by the way that they were dressed and really like the colors and the patterns that it was likely an American production or maybe a French comedy or like a French comedic film. So anyway, that was that. And I watched for a couple of minutes and then I went on my way. So it was very, uh, it was like, you know, things came full circle from that little experience when I watched the show, when I realized, oh, this is what they were filming. So the, the locations are incredible in this show. Um, There were moments watching it where I was completely convinced that one of the writers was French or that they had a really great uh, French culture, um, like um, consultant working on it. And then there were other moments later on in the series where, not at all, where I thought, I would have loved to have been their their French culture consultant, uh, particularly when they talk about, you know, they're going to they're going to market the champagne as the champagne to be sprayed. Um, so anyway, now I'm kind of jumping to- more towards the end of the series, but let me just open my notes and then I'll close with a few more general comments too. But let me just get into it because because I have quite a few uh, notes here. Um, pardon. Okay, so so some of the 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 cliches that I'm talking about, you know, one of I think it's his name is Monsieur Brossard. This is the gentleman who owns the 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 uh, advertising firm that Emily's company buys in Paris. They're in the office, and he you know makes a comment about you know something about American culture and you know diabetes, drugs, and capitalism, which is 
you know, it's, it's, it's a joke in the series, but I just, you know, I say this because I really want it, people to be mindful that it's a two way street and it's very French that the French took these cliches sort of more personally and were, um, more disagreeable when it came to accepting them versus so many of the comments that I've read from Americans are just, you know, and understandably they're, they're a little bit more obsessed with, you know, just the imagery of Paris and, you know, what Emily's doing in Paris and Gabrielle, but, you know, maybe take a page out of the French book and, um, you know, take a second to analyze things and realize that this show is not that flattering towards American culture. It makes it up it it frustrates me because I know so many Americans here in Paris that are not Emily that uh, make an effort that have made an effort to learn French that speak French that are much less self-centered. There's this wonderful word in French, nombriliste means like a navel gazer because nombril means belly button. Emily is very selfish. She's very much unaware. There's, well, we'll get into the beautiful, I think it's a beautiful exchange she has with the boulanger in the boulangerie, but Emily is like nothing. She's just not open. She's not present in the moment. Nothing is getting through to her because all she's focused on is getting her croissant for her Instagram post, which is, you know, there are a lot of, French opinions about the, <laughs> even about like the Instagrammers in Paris. So that's why I said like this show, it's, it's not just the French being upset about the negative cliches, but you know, there are a lot of negative cliches about Americans in this show too, that I think are really unfair. They're comedic, but I also believe that, you know, again, putting this more in the framework of philosophy of art, think it's nice to be mindful with what we're putting out in the world in our art especially in such a huge platform I know that this show I've known for a long time that I'm so ready to see people in film and in television that speak multiple languages because they exist I know them and I'm not just talking about myself and I know that these actors exist I've coached many of them and I do think that this show uh, did a wonderful job really, really showing a lot of its viewers that they're ready for that too. I loved all the comments I read about people wanting Madeleine, Emily's boss, to be in the second season more. And I really, really, really hope that she is. I don't know if that actress speaks French, but I would love to see Madeleine in Paris more and speaking a lot, like basically speaking only French. There's a wonderful character that comes up towards the end where Emily has, uh, she's having, I think it's dinner, I can't remember if it's lunch or dinner, at uh, the Ralph Lauren restaurant, Ralph's, and I've met versions of that woman here in Paris, and she's fabulous. You know, the expat who's been here for decades, that actress speaks French. She has a beautiful French accent, beautiful meaning it feels natural coming from her, and I would love to see more of her in that show. Okay, so let me just get into the notes. There's this moment uh, at the very start where Sylvie, and I believe there aren't any subtitles, that's why I noted this for you. Um, Emily's arriving, she arrives in the office and Sylvie thinking that she's Madeleine who speaks French. Madeleine is Emily's boss. Sylvie says, Ah, je ne vous attendais pas avant demain. 
Comment s'est passé le voyage, le nouvel appartement, tout ça? So I wanted to make sure that you knew what she was saying, as there's no subtitles. So je ne vous attendais pas avant demain. I wasn't expecting you before tomorrow. Comment s'est passé le voyage? How was the trip? Le nouvel appartement, tout ça. The new apartment, all that. And of course, Emily doesn't understand. And she says that she did Rosetta Stone on the plane, but it hasn't kicked in yet. This frustrated me so much because it's reinforcing this paradigm of passive learning of anything really, but in this case, when it comes to a foreign language, there is a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, the, the vehicle for learning, like, you know, the right app or, or the right program. Really what you want to be focused on is the, the right method and the right motivation, That's really, really important. You want a teacher or a program that's going to keep you engaged and going to keep you inspired. Someone, um, ideally, that is infusing some empathy into the way that they're teaching. Someone who really, really, really guides you to believe in your why and to stay connected to your why. So it's not at all this idea of you spend some time with an app and then it kicks in. Anyway, <laughs> so let's talk about uh, Emily at the boulangerie. So she walks straight into the boulangerie. She doesn't say hi. Don't, that's terrible. You can't do that. You can't do that because here's the thing. When people, here's the thing. So the bonjour in French is the equivalent of the American or the Anglophone smile. It's true. People smile a lot less here in France, but they address one another. You cannot, well, you can, let me rephrase that. If you go up to someone in Paris on the street and you ask for directions without first saying, excusez-moi, Bonjour or bonjour, excusez-moi. You are going to come off as so rude and invasive, and I'm not exaggerating. Or, you know, going into a boutique and someone, I think the way the scene goes down is the boulangère says bonjour to Emily, and she just, she like barely looks at her and just smiles. Now, Emily, unfortunately, Emily thinks she's being really nice. She is being nice in her culture, but she's not making eye contact. And she's not saying bonjour. So she automatically comes off as really rude to this boulangère. And then she orders une pain au chocolat. The boulangère helps her. She says it's un pain au chocolat because it's un, it's masculin. Une is feminine, right? Emily ignores her. She doesn't say thank you or anything. And uh, then she, <laughs> this made me laugh, but... But it's but it is a, it's a subtle cultural difference. And then she leaves the boulangerie and she takes her selfie and she's holding the croissant like it's a cheeseburger, like it's a Big Mac. That's not really how we eat croissant here. Um, but again, like I said, the whole thing was just so cliche. But Emily 
because she's so nombriliste and because, you know, and this isn't totally her fault. She gets this job opportunity in Paris and it's never been a dream of hers. So, you know, she didn't really have that much time to prepare. She's not someone who's naturally intrigued by other cultures. So I know I sound like I'm being really hard on her, but also it's true. She's really self-centered and closed off to this other culture that she's now living in. Emily's really loving Paris from the outside in, not really from the inside out. And I think that that's what Sylvie means when she says, you know, Paris is Disneyland for Emily. Um, pardon, I lost my place. So Emily misses this beautiful moment where the boulanger is teaching her. Granted, the boulanger isn't smiling. <laughs> It's okay, though. We're in France. Not everyone's smiling all the time. The French smile when they're genuinely happy or something about something. One of the things that I've heard French people say many times is like, you know, c'est pas possible. It's not possible that as Americans, we're so happy all the time. That's why one of the cliches about, two of the cliches about Americans, you know, through French eyes is that we are either fake or we're naive. Because for them, it's just like not possible to be so happy all the time. But for us, we're not necessarily smiling because we're happy. We're smiling because we want to send the signal of I'm friendly, of I'm polite, which in French we do through the bonjour. The bonjour is the way that you acknowledge someone. You know, it's the way you say, I see you. That's why it's so rude to, to not say bonjour to your you know, to the person helping you at the boulangerie, to not say bonjour to your waitress or your waiter at the cafe, because it's just, it's like you're making them invisible. It's very, very rude. And I know that it might sound crazy to have to say hi to every single person you interact with, because normally in Anglophone culture, we'd say hi is the start of a longer conversation. But don't worry, this French culture isn't very chit-chatty. There's generally not going to be a longer conversation, at least in Paris, in other parts of France, especially down south, especially in the summertime, it's, it's different. So this boulanger is being really sweet and wants to help Emily with her French. And Emily doesn't say thank you. She doesn't repeat the, the correction that she's been offered. And I wanted to address this because I have heard from my students, you know, I, and I've experienced this too when I was first learning French and putting my French to use. It can feel like French people are constantly correcting us. And in our American minds, then we don't feel perfect. We don't feel smart. We feel like we're never going to get this language right. No, two things. One, they're correcting you to help you. Number two, don't forget that every Almost every French person has gone through learning another language to a deep degree. So they're coming at you from a place of empathy. They know what it's like. They know that it's important that people correct you. They know it's imp they also know that it's important that you keep to speak that you keep speaking French. So they're not trying to get you to stop speaking French. So this boulanger is actually really, really helping Emily, but it's just totally lost on Emily. I have a note here. There are a couple of scenes I remember where I saw um, people leaving cell phones on cafe tables. Don't do that. Don't do that. And it's not because Paris is particularly dangerous, but just, you know, this, this goes for, you know, 
most big cities. Um, so I just wanted to mention that because I know so many of you are now planning your your either your first trip to Paris when you can travel again, or or maybe you've been to Paris a bunch of times and and you're saying, Carrie and I already know that. Come on, but but it's important to mention because I kept thinking of all of these people seeing this in the show. Do not leave your cell phone out on the table when you're enjoying your cafe or your vino in Paris. Emily says to, I think, Sylvie, French is such a funny language. I wanted to flip that. Let me give you some examples from English. How do you explain to someone the difference between act up, to act up, or to act out? Let's talk about pronunciation. How about though and thought. How would you explain to someone how to pronounce those? Also, for the record, um, I know that R-U-E is one of the hardest words for people to pronounce when they're learning French, but three is, I would say, the hardest word for French people because of the TH sound, which we don't have in French, and that uh, Anglophone, particularly the American R. So just wanted to flip that a little bit. There's this interesting uh, échange that Sylvie and Emily have in the office where, um, where basically Sylvie is talking about this, the French je ne sais quoi. And I think it's in the, December, the October. It was the October lesson uh, in the Paris lessons where I talked about this, this idea of le mystère. And basically Sylvie says to Emily that 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 she's trying too hard. She's trying too hard, and she says, Tout est évident chez vous. It's interesting, so meaning meaning everything is very obvious. Chez vous, I love this. This is so it's not at your house, but it's it means in your chez vous. Like basically everything about you. The the well it depends on the situation, maybe not everything, but in this situation. Maybe, you know, the, the ideas that come out of Emily's mouth, the way that she dresses, her intentions, her moods, par exemple, for example. It's interesting, I wanted to note that the, the subtitles aren't completely exact here, which is normal because the people who are making the subtitles also have to have the subtitles fit on the screen. And French is notorious for being a language where a French sentence might be twice as long as the same, the sent, a sentence with the same meaning in English. So Sylvie actually says, le mystère qui vous est étranger, the mystery that is a stranger to you. But the subtitles, pardon, she's speaking to her in English. So she says, you have no mystery. You're very obvious. But the subtitles are, le mystère qui vous est étranger, tout est évident chez vous. It's much more beautiful, I think, in French. It's more, it's, well, it's more mis- mysterious, if you will. Le mystère qui vous est étranger, the mystery that is a stranger to you. Tout est évident chez vous. Everything about you is obvious. But what she says in English is, you have no mystery, you're very obvious. That said, one of the plus sides to English is that it is a very succinct, very practical, very to-the-point language which is also a beautiful thing. 
there's this interesting moment that I wanted to make note of when they're working on the perfume ad and there's Sylvie and there's Antoine. So Antoine is, Sylvie's having an affair with Antoine. He's married and he is the ne, so the, the creator of this perfume. If you've been my student for a while, you know what a, a ne is. It simply means a nose in French. I wish that, uh, if there were a parallel universe, I would be a ne right now. I love, love, love learning about sense. And I think that maybe, maybe in another life I'll be a ne. But at one point, so Emily thinks that the, the ad that they are creating is re- basically really, really sexist. And uh, she makes fun of, Sylvie makes fun of Emily sort of talking about the morality police, and Sylvie says, I'm a woman, not a feminist. And Antoine says, desire is a sign of respect. Now, this idea from Sylvie, I'm a woman, not a feminist, and Antoine, desire is a sign of respect, uh, these are very dated ideas. But if you've, if you've been looking for some sort of clarity around what happened, what's been happening and still happening with the Me Too movement in France, with some of the actresses from the older generation that have not supported the movement, it's these it these two ideas, I'm a woman, not a feminist, and desire is a sign of respect, are very much in line with um, the the paradigm of the French actresses that do not support the Me Too movement, which also happen to be of an older generation, like Sylvie. Let's talk a little bit about clothes and hair. One of the interesting things that I realized, and this could be just a completely random thing based on, um, you know, who, who was styling Emily's hair in the scenes in the States versus who was styling her hair in the scenes in Paris, her hair gets more and more done as she's in Paris. And in reality, it would be the opposite. She would have less and less of these, you know, perfectly executed blowouts and curled hair and product in her hair. I read that Many, you know, many of the people, some of the criticisms I read, you know, people were critical of Patricia Field, who um, I think she uh, had, if I understand correctly, there was, just from the research I did, it looks like there was, you know, a, a rather large team doing the clothing for Emily in Paris, and that Pat- Patricia Field was at the head of this team. I loved loved what she did for Sex in the City and particularly Carrie Bradshaw's clothes. I would say that, and that's very much in line with a lot of what we see Emily wearing, you know, really loud colors, lots of patterns. Um, that's not how, that doesn't work for Paris, but then again, Emily isn't really an, an American who's, um, really embracing French culture or really, as I said earlier, she's so closed off to so much of what's happening around her culturally. So I wouldn't really expect Emily to be wearing beige and navy blue and white and black. I think c'est normal. It's normal that Emily's wearing a lot of patterns and, and bright colors. 
But no, the way that she dresses, I mean, she totally stands out in Paris. Um, we don't wear high heels around Paris. That's one thing I want to make sure <laughs> to say. Also, because you can save room in your suitcases when you come here. You don't really need more than one pair of high heels. I'd bring one black or one nude pair of high heels for going out at night. You know, you'll see Parisians wearing heels when, you know, may, you might see some Parisians during the day in certain quartier um, in certain neighborhoods as they go to like business lunches or, or you know, business meetings, but not if they're running around Paris all day. Heels are more something that we wear at night for parties. Well, in the olden days, I'm sure there will be parties again one day though. I also want to say that, that um, Emily dresses very, in a very vulgar way by Parisian standards. She wears a lot of crop tops. It seems to always be summer whenever there's a scene <laughs> with Emily. So, you know, just be mindful for that. She's, she's dressed in a way that's, that's not at all. Parisian and, and you know and with like the bright colors and the patterns and all the accessories if you have French confidence in your bibliothèque think of the prom dress or the Christmas tree section where I talk about style. Gabrielle just a note uh, about a couple of notes about Gabrielle there's the scene where Emily realizes that Camille is Gabrielle's girlfriend and then we see Camille give Gabrielle a big kiss and Gabrielle throws Emily this very awkward look that for me is something straight out of an American sitcom. I do not think that that would happen that way in real life. As as uh, Antoine sort of alluded to, desire is not shameful. I do not see Gabrielle being panicked or embarrassed. I see him actually as being just a little more accepting of the whole situation. So that moment really stood out to me as inauthentic. The next note that I have is about, oh, this is a French language note for you. So this is the scene where Emily's having the steak and she's sending her steak back. Another cliche about Americans not wanting, you know, wanting their steaks basically burned. <laughs> not true <laughs> not all of us but it's a cliche Mindy says to Emily bon appetit it's not bon appetit it's bon appetit bon appetit please do not ever when you are in Paris do what Emily does in this scene where she now you're going to say she's not yelling but by Parisian standards she yells across the restaurant to get the waiter's attention I was so mortified that I wanted the floor in my apartment to open up and swallow me up. In France, we don't talk to someone unless they're in front of us. And there are civilized ways to get that person to be in front of us. So you can simply raise your, your hand. You don't have to raise it above your head like you're in a classroom, but you know, maybe to your ear. One of the things that uh, when I used to give a lot of private lessons in person in Paris at cafes, I would always teach this to my students and I'd, and I'd joke saying that I was using my psychic powers because it sort of seems that way if you don't understand the nuance that's happening. But just make eye contact 
with your, or, or look at your waitress or your waiter, and eventually they will look at you. This isn't necessarily magic, but because of this system of, you know, people not talking to people unless they're in front of them, waitresses and waiters have the habit of scanning the room often, looking to see who's looking at them. So don't do like Emily and, you know, yell. And I know by American standards, she's not yelling, but by French standards, she's yelling because she's talking to someone who, who is a few tables away. Very, very, very rude. So good luck doing that and then saying that your steak is not cooked enough. Oh my gosh, all these, these, um, these cliches. The plumbing, this is no joke. So Emily has a lot of problems with her plumbing in her building. Um, and this is another cliche about Americans. When I, for example, when I first moved into my apartment, there was an issue with the, the kitchen sink was a little bit clogged. And before, you know, using one of those products like Drano, I wanted to make sure that my propriétaire, in French we don't say landlord or landlady, we say owner, knew that there was, you know, an, an issue with the plumbing. And she said, oh yes, before, before renting to you, this was an Airbnb and, you know, there were, there were, you know, a lot of tourists coming through, a lot of Americans coming through and, and, you know, you tend to be very rough on the plumbing. This is for two reasons. Number one, so much in America is so new. It's very much out of our field of consciousness, our realm of possibility, that some of these buildings are centuries old. The foundation, at least, of my building is centuries old. So what happens is the plumbing, it's, it's not like every 20 or 30 years all the plumbing is redone. No, the plumbing is sort of fixed and adjusted on an as-needed basis. The other thing is that garbage disposals, the only garbage disposal I've ever seen in Paris was in a kitchen that had been remodeled by Americans living in Paris. So you really have to, I tell friends when they're visiting to pretend like you're camping almost, you know, you got to scrape your plates, take all the, put the debris in the garbage. So Emily has issue an issue with her shower. I loved the scene with the plumber. He was so, for me, he was just like something out of my life. This, you know, the idea of the the part, there's one part and we don't know when we're going to get it. I love when Gabrielle's like, basically just relax, Emily, and, you know, get him a, a cafe and a croissant and let's just talk and go with the flow. I have to say, this is a generalization here, but I've noticed that the French are very good. They're, they're great at this sort of go with the flow mentality in these types of situations. And the landlady says to Gabrielle, que des problèmes depuis qu'elle est là. Only problems since she's here. Because remember, she also blows out the electricity in the building by using her vibrator with a converter. <laughs> but I do have a big issue with this scene around the whole shower. Um, I don't like that she, I, you know, I think, I believe that Emily is really smart. Look at everything she's accomplished with her work. Emily could have very much figured out the vocabulary to have that conversation with her landlady herself. She didn't need to be this sort of damsel in distress and have uh, Gabrielle come to her rescue. And if you are, if you are someone who is 
an expat living in Paris. I know how challenging and how hard it can be. I was literally there, but I really encourage you to use these types of occasions as wonderful learning opportunities and also as experiences that you can use to feel as independent here as possible. I had an epiphany in 2017 that, you know, even though I was very familiar with French culture, even though I spoke the language already very, very well when I moved here, that in order for this to really feel like home for me, it was going to mean that I was going to be able, I was going to need to be able to do everything here that I can do in the States, you know, which includes call the plumber, which includes uh, take a road trip, which includes driving stick shift, which includes all of these things. So if you're an expat in Paris, I really encourage you to, to think of that scene and see yourself doing that on your own without Gabrielle's help, because I know that you can do it. I'll always remember my first time having a plumber over in Paris. It was in 2014 in that apartment on Rue Linné, and it was quite an experience, and I learned a lot of vocabulary <laughs> that I didn't know before, but that's how we learn. Next, at the work party, uh, Emily walks up to a group of her colleagues and clients, and they're all speaking French, and one asks if she speaks French, and Sylvie says, Emily, unfortunately, does not speak French. And Emily does that thing that she sort of did in the boulangerie. Well, no, I think she kind of like looks up a little bit in this scene, but she basically like shrugs her shoulders and smiles and looks away. She acts cute. Cute has no currency in French, in France. This is Emily being une femme enfant. So that's, if you have French confidence in your bibliothèque, you know what I'm talking about. Very disempowered, very riding on this currency of her looks and being sweet. Cute has no currency in French culture. And I just, this is another moment of the show where I saw this and I thought, you know, not only can we do better with the, the characters that are, um, that are part of our shows, but people are ready for better because better exists. Better exists. It's possible to educate yourself. It's possible to be more self-sufficient. It's possible to, to not rely on this currency of cute. It's possible to be more open to other cultures. It's possible to pay attention. It's possible to, to um, be more sensitive to these nuances. There's a scene that's really funny in the office where Sylvie is trying to help um, Emily pronounce Deleur. It's one of their clients' names. And I, I wish that I could have been a French coach for her in that scene to help her. So this is for my French students. Remember what I always say, less is so much more when you're working on your French pronunciation. It's funny, the motions that Emily goes through, and they totally serve the purpose of the comedic aspect of the show. But, you know, she's saying, de and de French is not painful. Otherwise, all these French people would not be speaking it. I wouldn't be speaking it. It's very, very gentle. So move your lips as little as possible. Don't shove that language down in the back of your throat. Nope. Keep it up in your mouth. 
de l'heure. Non, de l'heure. De l'heure. And I have this in my notes that I want to share with you. Because I was very lucky when I was a student abroad, when I was studying abroad in Paris during college. At that time, still many people, most people spoke English, but they weren't so ready to practice their English or speak English with you. Things have changed quite a bit, but it doesn't mean that it's okay to not know any French especially if you're someone who adores French culture, especially if you're someone who really loves Paris from the inside out or France from the inside out. This moment at the party where Sylvie says, unfortunately, Emily doesn't speak French. And then you have, you know, most of their, you know, reactions to that. Keep in mind that not speaking French in France is like going to a dinner party and arriving and asking the hostess to change the menu. Because all of a sudden, everyone's got to shift the way they communicate towards your needs. And I think that this has been one of my greatest motivators when it comes to all of the languages that I've learned. You know, there's languages that I've, that I've learned the basics of that you've never probably even heard me mention, but it's because I was going to take a trip there, or better yet, take a trip there with friends who are from there, And, you know, I wanted to be able to be independent in the markets, but I also wanted to be able to follow along a bit at dinners. I didn't want to have everything have to be catered to me. And lastly, selfishly, I know that I knew that I would get the most out of that trip culturally if I had some foundation in the language. I was talking about this recently with a European friend, with an Italian friend, And she was saying, God, it's so amazing. You Americans, you do, you do so much. You achieve so much in technology and the sciences. But it's true. Well, she was just talking about her experience. She said, I've, I've met very few Americans that speak foreign languages very well. But boy, when I meet them, they speak like three or four. And so we chatted about this. And I said that I think it comes down to just where people see the value of their, the investment of their time and that maybe in general Americans find it more valuable to invest their time in things that are profitable materialistically, but perhaps people don't really see a material profit when it comes to learning a language. So I would add to that because I'm someone who does see very much, obviously, the, the value in investing one's time in learning a language. For me, the What's quote-unquote profitable, profitable about it is the, the currency of culture and communication. Switching gears a bit, I just wanted you to notice that in the end, Emily is respected for the notoriety that she achieves through her work. They don't ever mention any amount of sales. She, Emily's very focused on success and work and a little bit less focused on notoriety. So I just wanted to point out this difference between French and American culture. She gets, you know, the most attention she gets is for this re retweet on um, de la part de, um, on the, de la part de, this retweet, this retweet, sorry, by uh, Brigitte Macron. But there's really no mention of like, Scott, sales have skyrocketed. We're making so much money. 
At the party, they cheers over champagne. Uh, just a side note, remember that, that you may uh, come across certain circles in France where um, cheering, so trinquet, to, to clink glasses over champagne is a cultural no-no. And in these same circles, saying bon appétit would be a cultural no-no. And if you're one of my students, you've heard me talk about that before. It's, it's very rare, but, um, but those do exist. So I just wanted to share those, especially the bon appétit thing, because I know it's shocking because we think of Julia Child saying bon appétit and we think of bon appétit magazine. Um, but there are, there are certain specific social circles in French culture where saying bon appétit is actually quite vulgar because it's referring to your digestive tract, which is a disgusting thing to mention before you begin to eat. And cheering over champagne, I think it's because, you know, champagne is so delicate. Um, you know, you can, you can clink glasses over beer or wine, but not over champagne. So delicate with the bubbles. Emily does engage in a travel French program, an app. Brava, love it. Uh, however, it's not really helpful for you because the uh, subtitles aren't correct. So, or it's it's not helpful French, which is my main criticism of so many travel French programs, which is why I created mine years ago. So the app is encouraging her to learn. Pourriez-vous répéter? Don't say that, because if you say that, that just that very sentence makes it reveals that you're not very comfortable with French because uh, a French person naturally would not say that. Instead, if you want to sound natural and if you want the person to reply to you in French, you say, pardon, which is sort of like pardon me or come again, or comment, pardon or comment. The app teaches her, je ne parle pas français, and it's translated as, I cannot speak. Speak French. That's incorrect. Je ne parle pas français is I do not speak French. Also, I cannot speak French makes no sense because, and this is me getting a little philosophical because you know I have my, if you're in the Paris lessons, you know I'm currently taking a class at the Sorbonne about le possible. So it's possible for anyone to speak French if they study it and they try. So a blanket statement like I cannot speak French when you consider what's possible, doesn't make sense. At the party, Antoine says to Emily, she tries on the perfume he made. He says, it suits you. And she says, I'm not usually a perfume girl. Saying that in French culture is like saying, I'm not usually an oxygen girl. Um, there's a lot of bees. There's a lot of bisou happening, uh, especially from like Monsieur Broussard, to Emily and Antoine to Emily. There's a lot of uh, bees happening for a professional environment uh, here. That's, that's uh, not exactly typical. But that's another thing too when you're an American in Paris. You'll find people, sorry gentlemen, mainly men, uh, using it as an opportunity to do the bees with a female because they might not know that, you know, you don't just do the bees with everyone here. Um, the actor that plays the role of Monsieur Broussard, I love him in Paris Can Wait, the movie with Diane Lane. I love this échange, this exchange that Emily has with Luc on L'Île Saint-Louis, right across from the Brasserie that I love, where they're having this beautiful philosophical conversation about arrogance versus ignorance. 
So she's saying she's ignorant because she doesn't speak French. Luke's saying she's arrogant. So this ties back into my comment about not speaking French in France is like showing up to a dinner party where basically the table's set and you ask the hostess to change the menu. It's very arrogant. And Luke encourages Emily to examine her definition of happiness. And this is very philosophical because this is really what we do in philosophy. We we define things and we question established definitions. To help you with your pronunciation, there's a moment at work where Emily is punished because she is seen uh, as having flirted, probably because Sylvie saw Antoine give her the bees um, with Antoine at the party. And so she gets assigned this vaginal lubrication product and uh, she gets to learn the word wet, which is mouillé in French, which can be a challenging word to pronounce. So I wanted to help you with that. Mouillé. And this was so hard for me to watch because if Emily spoke French, she would have had such a huge win at the office with this. She gets the idea to use the vaginas on strike as the slogan, which is translated in whatever translator she's using as le vagin fait grève, which her co-workers would have loved because les grèves, strikes, are a big part of French culture. I thought that that was hilarious. Le vagin fait grève. And really tragic that she deleted it and didn't present it to her colleagues. She tries to get friendly with her French teacher. This is so funny. So this is a great lesson about, you know, people sometimes say it's very hard to make friends with French people. No, it's just that they really take their time. And um, they take their time to get to know the person and whatever it be, like the classroom or the professional environment before inviting them into their personal environment, which makes sense because it's an easier thing to do than to undo if you realize actually, oh, actually this person, you know, we actually don't don't get along that well. And this is very... Um, much the opposite of how we tend to do things in America, which is really beautiful too, that I've had many French people say to me, oh, it's so beautiful how you're so positive and just you assume that everyone is your new best friend right away. So there's there's beauty to both sides. But it's interesting because she tries to ask her French teacher out for a drink and the French teacher says yes, and then she tells her her fee and Emily says, okay. <laughs> Next, what do I have here? Oh, Emily. Oh, I already talked about the, <laughs> the Emily and her drinking. Okay. I already talked about the spray of Paris. Why this part of the show, I just couldn't take it seriously where they're going to sell the, the unsold champagne of Camille's family as like a champagne to be sprayed where all of a sudden just th that just was that blew my mind. It didn't make any sense to me knowing French culture. There are moments when Gabrielle and Emily and Camille are at Camille's family's place and Gabrielle saying to her, savor the champagne because Emily's drinking very quickly because she's, you know, she's got all this stress and, and we've seen her out drinking with, with Mindy too. This is another one of the cliches about Americans, the amount of drinking that Americans do when they're here. Um, I've only seen French people drunk in their own homes or at like birthday parties. But, you know, remember that there's a difference between enjoying wine and, and you know, 
consuming wine really, really uh, quickly. Just take note next time that you're here. You won't really see many drunk Parisians on terrasse. They might have a glass or a two of wine or or if it's a you know two friends together, three, four, they might be sharing a bottle. But again, this is just another one of the cliches about Americans. So when I saw Emily throwing back the champagne, especially champagne, you don't throw back your champagne like that. And Gabriel saying, savor the champagne. And he's being very, very patient with her and trying to, trying to teach French culture to her. But like I said, Emily's so closed off. She's, she's just, she's not oblivious. She's, it's past that. She's closed off. You have Gabrielle trying to teach her how to save her champagne. You have, um, you know, her coworkers, the boulangers that are, you know, trying to help her. Maybe her coworkers aren't always doing it in the most loving way. You have Camille, who is this like gift from the sky, I hope that in season two, we see more of Madeleine. We see a ton of Judith, who I'm going to get to in a second. And we see Emily speaking French basically all the time with Camille. So Camille, I have met French people like Camille in France and in Paris, uh, but they typically, she's rather Americanized. Someone like Camille here typically has an American parent um, so they grew up with American culture and language, or they grew up going to the States in the summer, or they went to the States for university, which could make sense if that was part of, of um, Camille's storyline, because she's from a very, like, une famille bourgeoise and the whole thing. So that could make sense. Because remember, going to college in America costs a lot more than it costs ici en France, here in France. Next, so now we get to Judith. I just love Judith. I've met Ju- Judith at, you know, beautiful, like, uh, American, I think it's called the American Universities of Paris group, or I actually went to their Thanksgiving dinner last year, or, you know, just through friends of friends back home, um, just these wonderful people that have been living in Paris for 30 or 40 years, very much under the radar. You're not going to find them on social media. They speak French really comfortably, and and they're also still very American. So they have this wonderful, and Judith is a friend of the Louvre, of course, and she is uh, having a meal with Emily at Ralph's, which is... Not the only place to get a cheeseburger in Paris. (laughs) What? That's so not true. Uh, So if you didn't know that, now you know. Par exemple, one of my favorite cheeseburgers in Paris is at Café Charlon, dans le troisième, in my neighborhood. And also, they are not required to only speak English at Ralph's. I love going to Ralph's every once in a while, I've been there once for dinner. I've been there once for lunch. They have a selection of California wines that are really, really, really hard. Northern California wines to find in Paris. And so um, anyway, it's just nice for me to know that it exists. And and it's all done up in Ralph Lauren. And it is like this portal to, you know, very chic American style and more Northern California cuisine. So I love going there every, you know, like I said, I've been there twice 
in the five years that I've been here. So they're not required to only speak English and it's not the only place in Paris to get a cheeseburger. I love the moment where the designer Pierre is depressed in bed and he's just he's just laying there and he's breaking the top of the creme brulee just to cope with his sadness. I love that for me. It's so that was just so so endearing and such a wonderful moment of just really like leaning into those those little pleasures. Also, pardon, I apologize if you hear in the last couple of minutes, there was a little bit of travaux, of work, of like a construction, more like bricolage, like handiwork that just started uh, on my floor. But it actually ties in very nicely with what I was saying about how old the buildings are here. There tends to, and this amazed me when I first moved here, frustrated me so much as someone who records a lot of audios at home, there tends to always be some sort of bricolage or travaux happening nearby, whether it's in your building or on your street in Paris. And again, it's like I said, it's this this consistent upkeep of these very old buildings. Next, uh, the show is right when it says that it's uh, basically impossible to fire someone in France. There's a gorgeous boat in episode 10 on the Seine. That boat, I have a note about that. So beautiful. Uh, Paris Fashion Week, it does sort of, well, it used to feel like it took over Paris in that way. And and it is kind of annoying. But I loved how they captured that because, you know, all of a sudden you have this overflow of louder voices and louder colors and it's impossible to get a table on terrasse. That was very accurate according to my experience. There's a moment where Emily says to Pierre, uh, comment ça va? Pierre, comment ça va? Okay, in reality, Pierre, who's supposed to be this very distinguished, well-known, revered designer, you wouldn't call him Pierre. You would call him Monsieur, and I forget what his last name is. And you wouldn't say comment ça va? You would say, comment allez-vous? Comment allez-vous? Right? Not Pierre, comment ça va? I wish that I could be Emily's Parisian big sister and help her with all these little adjustments that would really help her to just feel more at home in Paris and to have um, more like French love directed towards her. Et voilà, chers amis. So... Those are my comments and the lessons that I wanted to to teach you as connected with Emily in Paris. I hope that you've learned a lot about French language. I hope that you've learned a lot about French culture. I hope that the next season of Emily in Paris has a lot of room. <laughs> Cue another moped on my little street below. I hope that the next season of Emily in Paris has a lot of room for Americans speaking French and shows Emily uh, really stepping into a new maturity that for me would include being more sensitive towards, more open to French culture, more focused on this incredible opportunity that she has living in Paris and, um, you know, all of the amazing experiences available to her 
outside of romance, but I know it's a, it's an episodic. I know it's a, it's a series. So there has to be some sort of romantic arc, but I just think that Emily, as things stand, if she had to go back to the States tomorrow, she would really regret that she spent so much time focused on her love life and especially someone who's already spoken for and not a lot of time focused on learning French and really leaning into French culture. I also hope that the show embraces what I call a reflective diversity instead of this more reactive diversity that feels like a thing of the past. But, you know, in general, if we take a step back and, you know, we look at um, the creator of the show a lot, you know, he created a lot of shows like 90210, Melrose Place, Sex in the City. These aren't necessarily shows that are really, that have been very flattering to women or to men in the past or shows that have been incredibly diverse. There have been so many social changes that have happened this year the timing of when this show was created and filmed, um, juxtaposed against when it was released, it was really released in a new world. And I think that a lot of people had an issue with the show because it feels a bit like a relic. It is sort of a relic of a past world. So I hope that season two is more reflective of um, this new world that we're in now nearing the end of 2020. Voilà, chers amis, je vous embrasse. Merci d'être là. Je vous souhaite un très beau weekend. There you go, my friends. I send you a kiss. I wish you a very beautiful weekend. If you have any questions for me, please email me at podcast at frenchisbeautiful.com. I would love to do a whole Q&A episode soon, so please send me your questions. You can also send me your comments. If our time together today left you feeling more connected to Paris, to French, or to votre âme, your soul, then I'd be so appreciative if you left the podcast a five-star rating. If you want to take the time out of your full life to write a review, I would be very, very grateful. Really, it's through your words that people can understand best what this podcast feels like. Don't forget to sign up for Le Newsletter on frenchisbeautiful.com for emails about offers on my courses, my personal recommendations for places and things in Paris and France at large, and also more pieces of my writing. If you are looking for a cultural portal to Paris or a pressure-free connection to La Langue Française, have a look at the Paris Lessons membership. That's frenchisbeautiful.com forward slash the Paris Lessons. Enrollment opens for new members on the 11th of December. And remember, I know that this has been une année très complexe, a very complex year, but please don't lose sight of your long-term dreams. Don't lose touch with your deepest hopes. And whatever it is that your soul is calling you to move towards, to put your time and your mental energy into, remember that soulful study will open your outer world and deepen your inner world. And what you gain will always remain yours. Bon week-end, chers amis.